guys. So if you don't know who I am, that is totally okay. I'm about to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Mike Moore. Uh, I live in Albany, New York, which is the capital of New York State, not New York City. Most people think Manhattan is, and that's not the case. We are cooler than Manhattan, um, and we don't hate each other. Maybe we do a little bit. Anyways, um, but uh, I have known Pastor Byron. I actually grew up in southeast Texas over in a little town called Orange, Texas. Anyone? Yeah. Um, anyone uh, battling bears? Okay, there we go. There we go. I don't, are they still the battling bears? I don't even know. How's the football? T- I was wondering that earlier. I was like, how's their football team doing? Is it? Anyways, that's, that's what I expected. So, <laughs> um, Shout out to all the people from Orange. and um, But yeah, so I've known Pastor Byron for probably close to a little over two decades now. We went to school together, traveled together, and then he actually came up to New York to help us uh, plant and launch City Church. And, um, and it's just been really cool. And so I'm excited to see what God is doing in Redemption Church and what he's going to continue to do in this community and in Southeast Texas uh, in just the upcoming years, and I really, I mean, I'm excited for y'all's building. That's going to be, that's going to be awesome, because uh, then you won't be at four or five or six services. We'll see. You'll just be hopefully at two, maybe three, but hey, uh, whatever God wants to do. Uh, so I am married. The second greatest miracle outside of me saying yes to Jesus is my wife saying yes to me. Um, my wife is Christy. She is at home with our kids. We have two beautiful kids, Judah, who's about to turn eight, uh, and he loves baseball. And then Allie, Allison Grace, who is my little princess, she just turned five years old, and she is the cutest little girl uh, ever. And maybe I'm a little biased of that, and that's okay, but she FaceTimed me this morning, and she's like, Daddy, are you coming home after church? And I'm like, no, sweetie. And she's like, you got to come home. you got to come home. And I'm like, I'll be home in just a few days. And just melts my heart for any of the dads in here. You know what I'm talking about. Um, little girls, they, they just have this way of doing it. And quick story about her. I just think it's funny. Uh, her favorite store is Hobby Lobby lately. And so we did a, we did a daddy-daughter date about two, three weeks ago. And, and she's like, you're going to pick me up from school, we're going to go get some food, and then we're going to go to Hobby Lobby. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. All right, 15 going on fi- or five going on 15 with a little bit of sass is kind of where we are. So we get to Hobby Lobby, go through the doors, and the lady comes up, and she's like, hey, welcome to Hobby Lobby. Can, can I help you find anything? And my daughter's like, no, we're, I know what I want. We're good. And I'm like, oh, huh, okay. And so she's like, Come on, Daddy. And I'm like, we're walking, and I'm literally, I've never been to this Hobby Lobby, and we're walking around. And I go, Allie, where are we going? She goes, Daddy, we're going to go to that red sign over there, and we're going to take a left. And I'm like, all right, cool. And sure enough, we marching on down and get to the red sign. We take a left, and then we go down this another long walkway. And I'm like, Allie, where are we going? She's like, over here, Daddy, over here. The back corner of the store, she's like, all right, here we are. And there is just this array of doll stuff. I mean, like make your own doll, doll house, um, and, and beds. Y- y'all, you know what I'm talking? Some of y'all are like, I didn't even know Hobby Lobby sold that, all right? I thought it was like picture frames and flowers and cool things you put on your wall. But so we've got all this stuff. And then she goes, Daddy, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want the washer and dryer set, and I want the kitchen set for my dollhouse, and I need a new bedroom set. And I'm like, girl, who do you think you're talking to? Do you think I made a money? 
yes, Daddy. And I was like, I am not going to get you all of this stuff. That's exactly what happened, is I spent $66 on stuff for my daughter, and I got home, and Christy's like, you spent $66? I'm like, yeah, I repent to you. I'm sorry. I got suckered in, but little girls, they have a way of doing that. So it's awesome. But you guys continue to be praying for Pastor Byron and, and Ashley as they are on sabbatical right now. Uh, I know that they're going to come back, and uh, it's going to be awesome. But, hey, uh, I want to give you guys a message today called The Church You've Always Wanted. If you're taking notes, it's The Church You've Always Wanted. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42 today. Um, and I'm really excited about this because not only are we wrapping up chapter 2, but today is very special. Anyone knows what today is? Pentecost Sunday. Which, yes, I'm excited because that's where the Holy Spirit fell, the church was born, and here we are 2,000 years later, a part of the greatest movement this world has ever seen. Um, several years ago, I had an opportunity in New York to work with this church called Germain Memorial Ecumenical Presbyterian Church. I know, that's a mouthful, mouthful. Germain Memorial Ecumenical Presbyterian Church. And they called me in because I was doing some consultant stuff. And they're like, hey, Mike, we'd like to meet you, meet with you. So I meet with this guy named Ed. And, and I'm sitting there, and he's telling me all about the history of this church. And come to find out, this church was actually the fifth oldest congregation in America. And literally has a document from King Charles back in 1553 or 1653. I was never good in world history, so don't judge me. Um, like dating back, this was the king commissioning this priest or this minister to go and start this church in what is now Waterville, New York. And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking, and, and man, Ed is talking about his building and he's talking about the history of it. And, I, and I'm just listening. This goes on and on and on. And I, eventually I turned to Ed and I said, hey, Ed, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And he's like, well, we're talking about the church. I'm like, no, you're talking to me about a bunch of stuff. You're not talking to me about the church, which is the actual people, right? And, and so we, we kept going back and forth, dialoguing a little bit. And I said, all right, so Ed, what is your church like right now? Because he's one of the elders, right? One of the two elders. And he said, well, we have a congregation of about five people. Now, what's crazy is in the 1970s, this very same church had over 1,000 people attending it every Sunday. So how do you go from a thousand people to literally a handful of people? And to this day, uh, or as of this point in, in this church's history, they have now shut their doors. And so it's been generations of people worshiping and pressing in and reading the Bible just gone like that. How is it, how is it that you lose focus and you go from this great move of God lasting hundreds of years to shutting the doors. And I am convinced it's because they did not have the church the way that, that Jesus talks to us about having the church. Let me put it this way. They lose focus. They lose focus of the mission of the gospel. They started focusing on the building and on their history instead of reaching new people and reaching younger people. And eventually what happened is this church became insider focus until it eventually shut down. 
Now, I don't think that's going to be the case with redemption because you guys are absolutely amazing and awesome. And, and I like this dude right here. Like, it's, it's great. It's great. Y'all are awesome. But that's what I want to talk today is what is it that the first church had that some of us maybe are missing today? See, what the first church did not have was Bibles. Like, have you ever thought about that? The first church didn't even have a Bible. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have banners. They didn't have books. They didn't have bands. But let's give it up for the worship team. But you know what they did have? They had immense persecution from the world. And in all of that, they had passion. They had power. And they had presence. So jump with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. First point today is that the first church had a passion and a devotion. They had a passion and devotion for Jesus, for the church, for one another. And, And there's four things that the writer lays out right here. The first thing is a passion for teaching. Now, I just told you that they didn't have a Bible back then. But you know from last week and the previous week that they did have the Old Testament scriptures. And so whenever Peter preached the first message and he got up and he started saying, you know, you were the one that killed Jesus, right? You guys remember that a few weeks ago. You were the one that killed Jesus. Um, He was relating or referring back to Old Testament scriptures that ultimately ended up pointing to the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. And, And so the early church... They elevated the preaching of the word, the teaching of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And might I say for us today, the word of God. And I think oftentimes in our lives, if we can just be honest for a minute, sometimes we like to pick and choose what we like in the Bible and what we don't like in the Bible. Have you ever done that? You don't have to raise your hand. But like, it's like reading through and it's just like, man, this love stuff, this is great. I just, I love everyone. It's, it's so good, you know, the famous line, love wins. Like, love wins? Uh, yeah, that's cool. That tithing? Yeah, I didn't see that. It's like, I like the love stuff, but I don't like the tithing stuff. Or I like the love stuff, but I don't like the love your enemy. Like, you ever, you ever dealt with that? Someone's hurt you, someone's insulted you, someone maybe is your enemy, they betrayed you. And what does Jesus say to do? To love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, to reach out, to reach across the aisle and to ask for forgiveness or reconciliation at whatever level. And, and oftentimes, man, we will look at this and, and we say, oh, I like this part of the Bible, but I don't like this part. And we will dismiss certain aspects. And one of the things that the early church had was a passion for the entire word of God. And this is one of those things that I say, man, the Holy Scripture is what we build our lives on and what we submit our lives to. And this ultimately, like as a pastor, this is my authority. My authority starts and stops right here with this book. And so I would be doing a disservice if we taught something that was more or something that wasn't the whole gospel. And I know Pastor Byron, exegetical teaching, the exact same thing. The other thing is is you see that they were passionate about the fellowship. 
about devotion to one another, meaning the church right there. They actually wanted to be a part of the church and engage in the church. And if you're new here today and you're checking out Redemption, man, this is a phenomenal church to engage with, to be a part of. The third thing that, that you see is the communion or the breaking of bread. There is, a, there is a reverence, there is a passion for the Lord's table, reminding themselves of the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. And then the fourth thing, and I absolutely love this one, um, they were passionate about prayer, man. Like, I, like, anyone here passionate about prayer? You can raise your hand for this. Like, prayer is literally, as they said earlier, it is the engine that everything else in our life ends up coming out of. Like, prayer is the first thing we should be doing, not our last resort. Prayer is the first thing that the church should be doing. Actually, if you look at Acts chapter 2, the very beginning, the New Testament church was birthed whenever 120 people were praying. Like, that's you want the fire of God in your life? Pray. You want to see God move in your family? Pray. Like, we need to get back to a place of saying, I'm going to come to Jesus, and I'm going to just seek Jesus and pray to Jesus and believe Jesus to do what only Jesus can do because he can do more through your prayers than you ever can by yourself. He can do way more with you submitting to him and going to him in a place of prayer. Little little quick story. Uh, A few months ago, I was at a very, uh, I was at a crossroads, for lack of better terms, Uh, and I had a decision to make in my life that was very detrimental would not only affect my wife and my kids, but would also affect the church that I pastor as well. And you know what I did? True story. I got on a jet plane, and every time I say that, I'm like, I'm leaving on a jet plane. Don't know when I'll be back again. I cannot tell that to Allie, my daughter, because she's like, you don't know when you're going to be back? We're going to have a problem, Dad. I'm about to smack you. You know, that's why y'all are going to be a fun group. This is going to be good. Not that the others weren't fun, but I can, I can just tell. So, uh, so I got on a jet plane. I got on a plane, Delta. Holla. <clears throat> I love Delta. Uh, wow. We're not going to go there. Well, I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep preaching. Got on Delta. And I flew from Albany, New York to Houston. And then I jumped in my car, my rental car, and I drove from Houston to Beaumont. And I stayed at a hotel not too far from here. And I came to Beaumont, Texas. And I spent three days praying and writing. Kid you not. I needed a word from God. I needed to seek God. I needed a direction from God. And, and then Byron calls me. He goes, hey, Mike, we have first Wednesday prayer. I was like, that's awesome. He's like, you should come. And so I came to my very first Wednesday prayer here. It was really awesome. Um, and then whenever Pastor Byron did the prayer time, I came up right over here. And Chuck and Didi, they ended up coming up to me. And, and they were like, hey, uh, or I, I was like, can you guys pray for me? And what's funny, true story, what's funny is they were like, hey, what do you need prayer for? And I, she, she, can, she is my witness. I go, I'm not telling you. And, she, and they're like, I, I felt really rude afterwards. I was like, that came across really rude and I didn't mean it to. But I didn't want to tell them. I just wanted them to pray and see what God would speak to them. And they started praying for me, and they gave me a prophetic word in the middle of a prayer, first Wednesday prayer night, that literally set the point of drastically changing the trajectory of ministry and in my family. And that happened here in an atmosphere of prayer. Prayer. And so thank you. Thank you for being obedient. Prayer changes things. And there's a passion. 
and a devotion that we should have towards this. Now, we've, we've definitely heard this. Salvation is a free gift, right? But following Jesus, guys, cost us everything. Salvation is a free gift, but following Jesus cost us everything. And one of the arguments that I hear in the, the Northeast and Albany is a lot of people say, I really like Jesus, but I don't like the church. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. I really like, like, oh, he's a good teacher, he's a good rabbi, I even think he's kind of cool, you know. Um, I don't know how I feel about the church. The issue with that, though, is you can't love Jesus and have passion for Jesus and not love and be devoted to the church. Because the church is the very thing that Jesus ended up dying for. And so for us to say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church, or I love Jesus and I hate the church, is literally saying to Jesus, I don't love the very thing that your, your blood was spilled for, which is his bride, his church. You cannot have devotion to Jesus without having devotion to his church. There is a passion for Jesus and a devotion to the church. Now, I was doing this little word study thing um, a, a few weeks ago as I was preparing for this, and I kind of went down this rabbit trail, but I thought it was really interesting because I was stuck on this word, you know, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And then I started thinking, oh, what is, you know, what is, what's really being said there? Like, and, and, um, and I just got to say this little side, you know, trail. Have you ever noticed Christians are the only ones that use the word fellowship? Like, what are y'all doing? Oh, we're fellowshipping. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, what does that even mean? It usually encompasses, like, food and barbecue and, and southeast Texas crawfish boil. Can I get an amen? Oh, oh, I love the 1230. Like, I'm coming back to the 1230. Like, but, um, but like, but we're the only ones that use that word, like, come in fellowship with me. And anyways, so I did this word study, and it brought me to Matthew chapter 16, because I'm, I'm here, I'm seeing that the writer is referencing um, the fellowship, which I know he's talking about the church, but what was it in the Greek that Jesus actually said? And so I went to Matthew chapter 16, I found out this is, I think, really cool. And Jesus says this, and you've probably heard this. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says this in verse 19, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, Jesus, whenever he says that word church right there, the Greek word that he's using is actually ekklesia, which literally means to be called or summoned out, which sometimes, uh, more often than not, meant in a political, political uh, I guess, sphere of like a politician would come out and he would call out his constituents, right? He would call out the ekklesia to try to bring some kind of political change to the area or change to the community or the land to be called or to be summoned out. What Peter is using, and the writer is using right here, whenever they're talking about the church in Acts chapter 2, is actually the word koinonia, which means to gather in, uh, to gather in partnership. And the Strong's literally says to be intimately with one another, or to have intimacy with one another, which I think is interesting because Jesus calls us out of our sin, but then he invites us into an intimate relationship with brothers and sisters in the body 
of Christ. And so it isn't an either or, it is a both and. And I want to read this quote that I found. This is from a pastor in Colorado. His name is Aaron Stern. And he says this specifically about ecclesia and koinonia. There we go. He says, both are ultimately about belonging to the body of Christ and God's design for the church. But in both cases, to have one without the other is to avoid mess and to miss out on something important for our spiritual growth and our maturity. Most likely, some of us feel more comfortable in a corporate gathering and others find our niche in smaller settings. So let me just do this real quick. All right, show of hands. Let's, it's church. Let's be honest. Can we do that for a minute? All right. How many of y'all are extroverts? Any extroverts in here? Man, this is why I like the, like the, the you know, 9, 30, and 11, there was like two. I'm just like, extroverts unite, you know, and they're like, everyone's like quiet. It's like, all right, but anyways. More extroverts here. Uh, introverts. See, you don't want to raise your hand because you feel awkward about raising your hand, right? It's like, I don't, I guess, you know. Um, I am an extrovert, like times 10, if you haven't noticed. Woohoo! Like, I get excited. My voice is already shot. I might as well just destroy it at this point, right? Like, let's just have fun. Let's be around people, hang out. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, hardcore introvert. Like, no offense to anyone sitting on the back row, but my wife would be the one on the back row sitting there and being like, oh, that loud dude's coming by again. I swear if he talks to me, like, don't talk. Put your head down. Put your head. Let me, how about this? Let me pull out my phone and pretend that I'm texting someone in a very important. You ever done that before, right? Like someone starts talking to you or you put in the AirPods, like not even listening to anything just because you don't want to talk. That is, that is my wife, okay? Now, my wife thrives in, with, with three or four people. Like you get her with three or four people and they start talking serious theological and, and life-giving stuff, like boom, she is thriving in that area. She just isn't the big fan of like, woohoo, this, the loud gatherings, right? Um, but here's the thing, in order for us to be all that God has called us to be, we need to be in both koinonia and ecclesia. We have got to be a part of the church that God is summonsing out, is calling out, but also is intimately involved with, partnering with one another. He continues on, and he says this, regardless of feelings or comfort zone, both are necessary components of being a part of God's church. Now, the other thing I want to say before we move on to point number two, and I promise you my other points won't take as long, and I'm not going to spend 25 minutes on one uh, passage of Scripture or one, one actual Scripture. But I do want to point this out because we're in southeast Texas, and I grew up in southeast Texas. Uh, I know that there's a lot of churches in this area, a lot of churches, all right? And I think it's awesome. Praise God that there are churches. But what we have seen and what I have seen that has taken place in the Bible Belt is there's this thing that's crept up called consumer Christianity. Meaning I'm going to pick and I'm going to choose what I like and what I don't like about a church. And if someone upsets me, I'm just going to go find another church. Now, don't raise your hand, but I may be talking to some of you today. Like I know of people, like they come into church and they're like, all right, I'm checking out this church. Oh, they got donuts. That's super cool. That's cool. The donuts are stale, though. And they should have donut holes. 
Like I could eat a donut whole and wash my figure right here instead of eating an entire donut and like, man, I just think I need to go find another church that has donut holes because donut holes are holy, right? And then you go and you go find, you go find another church because they, you know, they didn't have the kind of donut that, that you, I just got that, the holy, yeah, but do Or how about this? How about this? Like, man, the pastor, he was preaching today, and it got, it got really hard. It's like, well, Johnny, what do you talk about? He talks about repentance. Can you believe that? I'm just like, I'm pretty sure that's the gospel, home dude. Like, you're getting upset because he's preaching the gospel. And then and here's, here's my favorite. Oh, my gosh, because I lived down here for so long, and I love this area. And I'm, listen, and they, I guess it, some of this happens in New York, too. A little different. But, um... Man, I just, I just don't like the worship. Like, oh, tell me more. You ready? And then we Christianize it. They don't, they don't have the anointing. Like, like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know whether they were anointed or not, or their gifting or not had anything to do with how you respond to God's glory in your worship. Like, how self-centered is that, right? But don't we do that? Don't we do that? And maybe you haven't done it. Praise God. Everyone here has not done that. You know, I believe that. Um, but we pick and we choose what we like. And when we pick and we choose, man, this is what I like to call popcorn Christians. We pop from one place to another place to another place to another place until life ends up happening and everything pops in front of us and it gets extremely difficult. And whenever that happens, if we're not rooted and grounded in a gospel-centered community with men and women who are passionate about pursuing Jesus Christ and who are devoted to the church and to the teachings of the word of God, then we are going to find ourselves out there isolated. And what does Satan like to do? He likes to take that person that's isolated and cut them off. Passion and devotion for the church. Picking up in verse 43, he says, And awe or a fear came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All right, show of hands, because y'all are the 12, 13, we got more extroverts in here, all right? How many of you guys grew up in a charismatic church? Say, get those hands up. Like, really, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Like, breeze back there, like, hey, hey. So, um, cool. Thank you for being honest. There's nothing bad with that. I also grew up in a charismatic church, and I look back at it, and I'm very thankful for my charismatic roots because it ingrained something into my life and in my relationship with Jesus and, and in my faith, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but one of the things I've noticed about the charismatic churches is that if you're just focusing on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you're excluding the Word of God, you're really kind of idolizing what God can do for you instead of who God actually is. Man, I believe God can heal. I believe God can redeem. I believe God can make the lame walk. I believe God can open the eyes of the blind. I believe God can reconcile marriages. I believe God can save the prodigals and all of that stuff. And praise God. And we need to believe for it. We need to believe for cancer to be healed. All of that stuff. But the moment that we take that and that becomes what we're pursuing over Jesus is the moment that we've created an idolatry out of our very own religion. Jesus. Passion for Jesus, passion for his teaching, passion for the community. And this is what I love. The signs and the wonders happen, but it only happened after there, was a passion, after there was a passion and a devotion to Jesus and his church. Then 
the signs and wonders happen. You're going to learn all about that next week. Come back. It'll be good. Acts chapter 3. Pick it up at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings. And they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. First and foremost, I just think that that's absolutely beautiful right there. Like, this is what devotion to a community, to a church looks like. is because you go through hardship in your life and men and women are there around you. Now, y'all are the 1230, and so I want to share this with you guys because y'all are really cool. Um, My mom's favorite saying in life is a bumper sticker, all right? And y'all, my mom is from South Mississippi, and she talks like this. It's the sweetest little thing. Anyways, uh, my mom being from from South Mississippi, uh, what, what she says is, she's like, Michael, my favorite bumper sticker is crap happens, except for crap is another word. Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about now? Like, yeah, it's okay. So that's, that's, that is my mom's favorite bumper sticker. And you know what? It does happen. It does happen. But whenever you are in community and you have a, a common goal in front of you, man, life happens and you have men and women who are going to rally around you, lift you up and support you and encourage you. You know what I've learned about this is that being a part of a church that's devoted, being about a church who has passion ends up producing unity, and unity ends up producing power. And I'm not talking about unity that produces political power. I'm talking about unity that produces Holy Spirit power. We are better together. We can do more whenever we come together with a common mission and a common goal than we ever could by ourselves. We can do more to help humanity. Like, I genuinely believe that it is the church's opportunity for us to be able to step up and to be able to rise. Like, could you imagine if you got 500 people that are unified together saying, you know, Pastor Byron, we're going to go after this. We're going we're to pursue and have passion for Jesus. We're going to pursue and be devoted to the church. And we're going to be in unity with the mission of, of Redemption Church. And we want to see every man, woman, you know, life in Southeast Texas experience life change through. Jesus, we're going to do that. And you know what? Something happens up in Beaumont, and then the church has an opportunity to rise up, and church says, hey, we want to take care of that so that people don't have to turn to the government. They turn to the church. We want to step in in the foster care area where there's broken homes and there's brokenness. We want to be a part of the problem with dealing with, with, with drug addicts or people that are stuck out on the streets in homelessness. We want to be a part of the problem with people not getting educations or, or coming from broken homes. We We want to be a part of the problem of the single mom or a part of the solution with the single mom who has three kids because home dude ended up leaving her. The church isn't going to leave you. He may have left you, but the church is not going to leave you. That is what happens when the church is unified together. Unity produces a gospel, a Holy Spirit power. Now, this is something I think is really cool. So Matthew chapter 16 Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail, right? And then you've got, um, right after that, he says, everything you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Everything you loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. You guys remember that? I just read that like seven minutes ago. Maybe it was like 20, but still. Um, You jump forward two chapters, Matthew chapter 18. That's for me is like the relationship chapter because, or the conflict chapter. Because Jesus talks about if, if you've sinned against someone or if someone has sinned against you, 
you need to go to them. If they don't listen, bring two. If then they don't listen, then you get the church involved. And right after he says that, he says this in verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he immediately goes into a parable about forgiveness. I think what Jesus is trying to say there is a unified church is a church that walks in forgiveness, is that one that walks in grace. And what Jesus prophesied in Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 18, we see manifested in Acts chapter 2, whenever the church was unified and the power of God fell on Pentecost. Now, I believe God wants to move in his church through power. And lately, I've... Um, I've kind of been a, becoming a student of revival. And I know everyone here, we all love that word. We know uh, of the, you know, like we want revival to break out. But there's a pastor I've, I follow and have had a few conversations. My wife and I, we actually went to a retreat with, with him. And just really guy, Pastor John Tyson, if you ever get a chance to look him up. Amazing dude. And, and John has become a true student of revival to where like, Home dudes, family vacations are like, we're going to go to Wells and we're going to go to all these museums and learn about the Welch revival. Like that is, that's what he does. I'm like, that's really awesome. So whenever Asbury broke out, like his whole family just loaded up and they, they dropped everything and they went to Asbury and they spent like two days down there just soaking in the presence of God. But this is what John said. He said, you know what I've learned out of going to all these different places, reading all of these books, studying church history and the time is it doesn't matter if you're Methodist or if you're Baptist, if you're Presbyterian or if you're Catholic, it doesn't matter if you're Pentecostal, if you're Charismatic, if you're Dutch Reformed. What matters, if you want to see revival truly happen, what matters is that there's unity in the church. And when there's unity in the church, God will show up where he's wanted. It does not matter where you are in that regards. And listen, we can even look at our own lives. God will show up when we want him in our life, right? I believe that the first church showed, had this desire, this hunger, and they wanted to see God move. And God moved and God met them. There's devotion. There's passion. There's unity. And that produced power. Continuing on, verses 46. And day by day, say this with me, day by day. day, by day. Oh, come on. Day by day. day by day. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Like, I, I just, I'm really encouraged about that because they were glad. Like, let us be glad that we get to go to the house of the Lord. Let us be glad that we get to go spend time with each other in groups. Let us be glad. And then there's this generous heart, man. I don't know if you've ever been a slave to your wallet, but the biggest antidote for you being a slave to your wallet is learning to have a heart and a posture of generosity in your life. And this is what the first church had. They had a heart and a posture. I know many of you are doing that right now with your multiply campaign. You're already giving. And then on top of that, you're like, hey, we believe in the mission and the vision of Redemption Church. And we want to give above and beyond so that we can see what God can do and have this place multiplied out for the glory of God. So thank you to all of those who do that. But he continues on. He says, then they were praising God and having favor with all people. Could you just imagine for just a moment what it would be like if the church started to have favor again with all people? Like, 
I think that would be beautiful. And they were having favor with all people, praising God. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. You know what this looks like to me? Like, if we really want to dive into this, what does this church look like? And this, if you get nothing else out of today, this is what I want you to get out of today. The first church had passion and devotion. The first church was unified, and they saw the power of God. And because of that, they were marked by his presence. And I am convinced that Jesus wants to have his church be marked by the presence of God. Have it to where they are living a life that is spirit-led. They are living a life that is, that is seeking after the heart of God. And, and, and they are living a life where they are in tune with the Holy Spirit. I, I think some of us, we need to start seeking the face of God instead of the hand of God. And for many times in our life, we have been seeking the hand of God, trying to get something from God instead of trying to get God himself. And there is a huge, huge difference because whenever you get God, whenever you pursue God and that becomes your love, that becomes the thing that you're devoted and you're dedicated for, man, I'm telling you, there is something that will happen on the inside of you that will end up transforming that around you. And I I genuinely, I believe that God wants to do this. This is the church you've really wanted. A church that's full of passion and devotion. A church that's unified with power and a church that is marked by the presence of God. The problem is the church that many of us have wanted is not actually the church of the Bible. And the very church of the Bible is the church most of us reject. And I'm just here to tell you that man, Don't allow that to be the case for you. Let it be that you lean into, like man, sometimes church gets messy, right? Sometimes you're doing four services and you got people here at 6.30 in the morning and and they're running around all day. Sometimes, I mean, you're, you're, you're dealing with people. You're getting bricks thrown through windows. I don't know if you know that happened to y'all last week. But that's a part of being a church that's kingdom focused. That's a part of being a church that's saying, we're going to pursue God. And I'm telling you, man, if you want to see a transformation in Beaumont, Texas, and if I want to see a transformation in Albany, New York, and we want to see a true, genuine heart of revival birthed in God's church, we have to pursue Him. We have to pursue Him and His presence and allow His presence to penetrate the inner being of our heart mark us for his glory to where we leave here and we get out there and it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and we love people the way Jesus has called us to love people we forgive those who have hurt us and wronged us we have a heart of generosity to our waiters and our waitresses we're driving down the road and maybe we feel the unction of the Holy Spirit say hey I want you to go this way and you run into that homeless person that you keep seeing maybe that's God putting that person in front of you so that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus so that you can be the witness according to Matthew or Acts 1.8 it's a church that's marked by the presence of God and I believe God wants Redemption Church to continue in that